You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode 142 of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by the band The Carolyn. The Carolyn is a timid yet charming indie punk trio from Atlanta, Georgia. Founded by singer-songwriter Andrew Patrick in the summer of 2016 as a solo project, they've transformed into an indie punk frontrunner you've likely yet to hear about. With the addition of bassist vocalist Oliver Conlon and drummer David Malazzi, the Carolyn continues to assemble a catalog of anthemic tunes that reflect the angst facing 20-somethings in small-town suburban America. Their debut LP, This Will Begin to Make Things Right, is out now via 59X Records. For more information on The Carolyn, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as Facebook at The Carolyn Music and Instagram at the underscore Carolyn. Now here it is, their new single, AM. you've ever heard before it's storytelling but it's more than that because rock stars they tell us how we feel they change our mood they change the clothes we wear the people we hang out with the way we remember things it's them who give us those ludicrous moments the ones where you're jumping around singing your heart out 
feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, this is Chris Demakes from Less Than Jake, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your buddy and host of that one time on tour. If uh, this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and we have a stellar conversation. So uh, I hope you're doing well out there, staying safe and healthy you know, wearing your mask, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. I guess we're supposed to wear two masks now, but I say let's wear like five masks and maybe the bands can start touring again and we can go out and see a show once in a while. That would be great. But uh, today on the program, I'm going to get right into it. My guest is my dude, co-front man of Less Than Jake and my sound talent media network mate, Mr. Chris DeMakes. Chris has uh, so much going on, and we covered everything. We talked about his podcast, Chris Demakes a Podcast. Clever name. <laughs> and uh, it's it's all about songwriting. He's had guests like, uh, let's see here, Derek from Sum 41, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, Bill Stevenson from The Descendants. He's had tons of great guests. You need to check out Chris Demakes a Podcast. I think you'll really like it. Check it out after this one, though. Uh, we talked about his new book, Blast from the Past. And of course, we discussed the new Less Than Jake record, Silver Linings, which is out now on Pure Noise Records. Make sure to check it out after this podcast. Uh, it was great catching up with Chris, and I think you're really going to enjoy our chat. It's it's a lot of fun. We talk about so many different things. You're going to love it. So before I get to my conversation with Chris, I need to pay some bills like I always do. We have some sponsors for today's episode. The band at the beginning of the episode, The Carolyn, that is C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. You can check them out on all the socials and the streaming sites. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring. I really appreciate it. Next, we have PartsCasterConcierge.com. My buddy Gary, he builds guitars. He builds pedals. He does all kinds of cool stuff. You need to hit him up. PartsCasterConcierge.com. Do you guys like art? I love art. Do you like the artwork for the podcast? I love it. My buddy Stefan did it over at spam.rocks. That is S-B-A-M dot rocks. S-B-A-M dot rocks. Make sure to check it out. They have a music festival. They have a record label. They do art. They do all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out. S-B-A-M dot rocks. I'd like to give a shout out to Permanence Tattoo Gallery for always taking care of my ink needs. My buddy Jacob Harrison over at Permanence. You got to check it out if you're in the area and you want some ink. Anderson, Indiana, Meridian Street, downtown. You can check out all the cool stuff on the socials 
at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Last but not least, we have our friends at BetterHelp.com. You guys have heard me talk about it before. I am a proponent for mental health. You got to get your mental health in check. So head on over to BetterHelp, that is H-E-L-P.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. And you're going to get all the information you need for online remote counseling and therapy to help you out. And by going to that link, betterhelp.com slash T-O-T-O-T, you get 10% off your first month. It could not be easier. You need to do it if you have any kind of stress or if you're anxious or if you're depressed, whatever. Check it out, betterhelp.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, you can hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the socials, shoot me a DM at TOTOTpodcast. If you want to support the show, we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. If you want to make a one-time donation, maybe just like a dollar or two, just to help out, you can hit up my personal Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney. That is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. I would like to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. Head on over to TOTOTpodcast.com. Check it out. Pick up some merch. She does the merch as well. And make sure to follow Sarah on Instagram and Facebook at Road Dog Supply. She does work for Big Wig and a bunch of other cool people too. So check it out. Okay, so we have a small segment today. It's not a radio segment, but uh, it's a new segment I want to try to do. And I've been getting some voicemails and I want to let you guys hear them. So last week on the episode, we had the creator of the Jerky Boys, Mr. Johnny Brennan. And he told me a story about Dave Grohl being a fan of the Jerky Boys and that there was actually a Jerky Boys sample on the first Foo Fighters demo. And we told that story. I thought it was really cool. And I thought that'd be the end of it. But dedicated listener Carl, he has more of a backstory on the story that Johnny was telling. So let's check it out. Hello, is this thing on? Chris, what's going on? It's Carl from Phoenix Records in Vermont. Just calling to let you know I was checking out the Johnny Brennan of the Jerky Boys episode, and I had a little story for you. Ties right into something Johnny was talking about with you on the phone, and that was Dave Grohl putting some Jerky Boys stuff into his first demo tape, which I believe ended up, a segment of that ended up on the Sonic Highways, which you were discussing with Johnny briefly in the episode, and I could clue you in on how that happened. I've been friends with Dave since the Scream days. We played some horrendous out-of-state shows together in the late 80s that involved getting a gun pulled on us when we tried to collect the money at the end of the night. That was one of them. Another one, the power went out right in the middle of the show. But anyway, Dave joined up with Nirvana, and uh, Nirvana was coming to town in 1991, and this happened to be the week that Nevermind was released. Literally, two days after Nevermind was released, they played in New Haven, Connecticut, a club called The Moon. I believe it was a Tuesday night, maybe about 60 people there, if that. The whole show is on YouTube, so it's worth checking out. Anyway, I was catching up with Dave at that show, hanging out outside, and that summer, my record store had given away a whole ton of Jerky Boys bootleg tapes. And this was still when it was underground before anyone knew what it was. 
and we had gotten these tapes from a guy named Johnny Swing who knew Johnny Brennan, actually met Johnny briefly uh, one time, but this was a sensation. I mean, every day, dozens of these tapes were going out to different people. So I went to see Nirvana that night, was hanging out with Dave, kind of catching up with him on the move to Seattle. And I brought along a Jerky Boys tape and I said, hey, maybe, you know, this will be something different to listen to in the van. They were still touring in a van then. They had one of those Econoline vans that they had bought with their gaff and money. And if you could believe that, I gave that to Dave and he was super psyched to get it, kind of explained what it was to him, said, you know, maybe not for everybody, but something cool to do and, you know, to listen to other than, you know, arguing about what you're going to play on the stereo, which, as you know, is something else that goes on on tour when you're in a band. So I gave Dave Grohl the Jerky Boys uh, two of the underground tapes, and apparently they were quite popular in the Nirvana van. As I mentioned, that was the week that Nevermind came out. Now, at this point, they're still playing for 60 people. That weekend, I went to New York City from New Haven, and all of a sudden, sold-out show at the Marquee on 25th Street. I think it was about 1,200 people, maybe 1,500. Melvin's opened that one, was upstairs watching the whole crowd move as one, and that was the beginning of Nirvana as we know. That we literally that weekend after Nevermind came out, that was the first sold out show that wasn't in Seattle, and it all took off from there. But kept in touch with Dave over the years, you know. Of course, an amazing drummer, dude. This dude at 18 years old could out drum anyone I've ever seen, just total force of nature. That's it. That's my story. The Jerky Boys live in infamy, thanks to TOTOT, and thanks for having Johnny Brennan on. That was really cool to hear. The Jerky Boys have a heart for everybody. Okay, man, take care, and we'll see you next time on tour. Thank you, Carl, so much for the awesome story. That's the first time that's happened where somebody has told a story, a guest has told a story, and we weren't sure how the story actually took place, and then an awesome listener calls in with with their take on it. So that's just so cool. Uh, Dave Grohl is literally one of my favorite people in rock and roll there are some people that think, oh, it can't be real. You know, he, he's he got to be different. He's not that nice all the time. But I've met Dave two times, and he could not have been a nicer, better guy. And uh, Carl, if you're listening out there, thank you again so much for your story. I appreciate it. And if you still have that in with Dave, let's get him on the podcast. I think it would be amazing to have Dave on the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that. But I'm going to give you what you came for right now. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Mr. Chris DeMakes. Here we go. And I'm on the line with fellow podcaster, network mate, and awesome front co-front man of Less Than Jake, Chris DeMakes. What's going on, man? Hey, Chris. How you doing, bud? I'm doing awesome. It's it's really cool to uh, to have you on the show I've met you a million times. I know we're not close. I used to be in a band called the Ataris. We played Warp Tour with you guys. We did a lot of stuff. Of course. And uh, it's just we're really- not close because you don't because you, you don't call me. <laughs> I know. I need I need to call you more often, man. <laughs> but I just I think it's so cool that you know you have this new podcast. I've got a lot to talk to you about today. I'd kind of sure. like to start off, you know, finding out kind of 
what happened to make you want to do a podcast. It seems like everybody has one. When I started mine, people are like, everybody has a podcast. Was it the virus that kind of, I know it's making people kind of find themselves outside of their band and everything. Like what was the, like the chrysalis kind of thing that made you want to do this? Yeah. You know, there was a whole lot of stuff that led up to it. Um, you know, uh, about two years ago, I, uh, started putting together my first book and, uh, didn't really know it then, but some things inside of me spiritually were kind of changing. Uh, it's the only word I could think of to use spiritually. Uh, I recorded the last Less Than Jake record last November, uh, Silver Linings down in Gainesville, Florida. And I got home last December and I just had this, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, I hate the term midlife crisis. That wasn't what it was. I wasn't depressed. I'm, uh, I have a family, two, two children. I'm a dad. I'm, I'm totally stoked. My band still does well. Uh, I have everything I've ever wanted. I have, I have plenty. I have, I have all that I need and then, and, and then some. But I just felt this... Uh, like a reset button, like the second half of my life was about to start. A lot yeah. of the things that that I used to enjoy as a younger person, you know, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I'm not out till three, four in the morning, out seeing bands and you know, carousing, drinking, drinking all night with my friends. My my life, my priori- priorities have changed, and uh, so I don't know where I got an email from a friend, uh, a fan of the band, been listening to us since she was a kid in the '90s, and her dad had passed away. She was having a rough time with it, and that was uh, December second of of uh, 2019. She wanted me to write a, her a song. What would you charge for that? I, I have no idea. And uh, long story short, um, I did this song, and she said I have to pay you something. And I just gave her, a, you know, told her a number. It wasn't wasn't too much, and she paid me like triple what I asked her. She paid wow. me, and the light bulb went off. And um, so that was December second. It's now what? Today's the eighth. Yeah. Um, in a little over a year, a year and year and a week. Uh, I just finished my 131st custom song. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it kind of just took off from there. So I've been doing custom songs and jingles. Uh, I also do one-on-one uh, live video consultations. That's been and, and that started around then too. So this was all pre-lockdown. Pre, no idea that this was going to happen. But just inside me, I had never stepped out outside of Less Than Jake. I never did a, did a solo record. I, I, this is the only band I've ever been in. It's always provided me with everything I need uh, artistically, uh, speaking. And, uh, it just fulfilled me my whole life. And I just kind of had a reset button. I, I, I kind of wanted to, f- to see who Krista makes was not who Chris from, I know who Chris from less than Jake is, but yeah. who am I outside? Who am I outside of this band? Uh, this is the only band I've been in. Um, so that was all taking place. Uh, and then the lockdown happened. And, um, when that, when that happened and, and mind you during this time, I'm putting my book together. So I had that going too. And uh, I I, re, I say reconnected. I did a tour last year with a band called Punchline, and I've known the I know the Punchline guys. As, you know Chris Fafalios, as you know, I've known Chris for forever. And Chris um, does uh, custom. He does like animation videos. And he did a video for a tour we did last year with Bowling for Soup. And um, when I was advertising my custom songs back in March of this year, I thought it'd be really cool to put some animation behind, uh, you know, this little, little jingle that I had written to advertise my business. So Chris did it and it was just crazy. It was like one thing after another. We realized like two weeks went by and we were on the phone every day just bouncing ideas off each other. And lo and behold, uh, Chris is is my manager um, outside of the band. So Chris Chris manages me. He's also the co-producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast. He produces produces the show. Uh, I say co-producer. He is the producer. <laughs> um, I mean, you and, produce uh, you produce it as well. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does he he does all the grunt work. He makes yeah. it sound pretty. You know, he makes me sound good. But uh, so. 
Chris had suggested, you know, he was just brainstorming all these ideas of how I can, you know, get my name out there and, 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 you know, do stuff, uh, uh, solo wise away from the band. And, uh, he suggested a podcast and I was, you know, the older I get, I, I always tell Chris this, uh, I, I, I know that I don't know everything now. You know, I thought I did when I was a young man yeah. and the older I get, I'm, I'm able to take direction. And I couldn't have been more wrong in my train of thought. I was kind of like what you said a moment ago, Chris, like, you know, why, people have been saying this to me for a while because, you know, I kind of have the gift for gab and and I've done an, a thousand plus interviews over the years. I, I kind of know how this all all, all goes. And uh, I said, why don't you do a podcast? My answer was always, everyone has a podcast. Yeah. And most of them, and most of them stink. Um, and True. <laughs> Chris, and, and Chris and Chris was just like, you got to do a podcast. I'm like, dude, I said the same thing. To him. I'm like, no, who wants to hear me on a podcast? He says, he says, yeah, okay. So everyone has a podcast, but they're not you. Think of the pool of people that you know. Yeah. Okay. And he, and he, and he said, I want to go with the theme for this. I don't want it just to be a random podcast or like an interview. Because I told him that was your thing. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to interview my peers. It's the last thing I want to do. Uh, he said, no, we're going to have a theme. I think the theme should be songwriting, he said, because you're doing all these custom songs. It'd be great to add. If anything, it's a great vehicle to to, to advertise your your projects. Uh, and who knows, man? Maybe the show could get big enough where all of a sudden you could advertise for the Less Than Jake tours are coming. You're you're that well known outside of uh, of the band. And um, all these little things just kind of started eating at me that night. And I'm thinking like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm trusting this guy to guide me right now. Um, he's a dear friend. He wouldn't tell me this if he didn't believe in it. What, what, what do I got to lose? And, uh, the next morning I got up and texted like 20 guys. The first week we, we recorded 12 episodes. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I just don't, I just dove right in and, uh, we had about, it was like maybe 10, 11 or 12. We, we had almost three months of content. Uh, that first week, and then from there we just started working. So that was the real that was the real reason behind the the podcast was Chris. Uh, Chris pushed me to do it. He felt that uh, it could be something, and and it and it's exceeded my wildest dreams. I, I tell you, when I when I started mine, I mean, it was about three years ago, and everybody still had a podcast. It was like this new thing that everybody was doing, and I remember friends of mine because I've been in a lot of signed bands. I've done a lot of touring, but. I was always just like a guy in the band. I was never the front man of the band. So I had no ill-conceived notions that anybody would want to listen because of who I am. But I had right. this I had this digital Rolodex of people that I knew that were in big famous bands. So I was like, you know, let's try this out, but I never thought it was going to be anything and now 3 years later I mean, we chart and I'm on a network with you, which is pretty badass. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I really enjoy your podcast uh, as a songwriter myself. It kind of, I think it fills a void in the kind of podcast circuit, you know, like there's Song Exploder and things like that. But when you're talking to guys like Bill Stevenson and Mark Hoppus and, and you're talking to Laura Jane Grace and you're finding out what it was all about to write these classic songs. I mean, do you ever, I know you've been around, you've been in a band for close to 30 years, you've done all this stuff. Do you ever kind of pinch yourself? Like you're talking to Bill Stevenson about a Descendants song. I mean, that's incre That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bill, Bill is a friend, but like, I'm still like, when I see him at a festival and he's like, pull up a seat, man, and we'll have some lunch. Like I'm still starstruck. He'll always be my hero. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's that component to it. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I've known these guys for, for so long and uh, it, it, there's a certain bit of, you know, comfortability to it, too, yeah. that that kind of makes it nice to be able to uh, and not approach it from starstruck or be nervous, you know, because it's it's funny. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm nowhere near some some of the people that I've even interviewed in terms of celebrity or or, or being famous. But I've sat down for interviews and podcasts where the, like the person's shaking, like we're their favorite band. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like, <laughs> I, you know, I haven't had a guest that's done that to me yet. Maybe if like I don't know James from Metallica or Brian May from Queen got on or right. something, I might be might be shitting bricks. But for the most part, I've been able to handle myself pretty pretty well so far. I, I'm I'm a big fanboy. I mean, even talking to you, I've been listening to less than Jake since high school and. I just remember like, like kind of the corollary of you talking to Bill, like over the years, I've gotten to be very friendly with Stefan. And I, right. w- I went down to Indianapolis when they played and and we did a podcast like live in the same room and, and we're friends on all social media. And he was asking me about my son and it just, it, it's never lost on me. Like I'm friends with that guy, but that guy changed my life. Kind of like what you were saying with Bill, right? Yeah, for for sure. I mean, hell, we got a song on the new Less Than Jake record called Bill. It's my favorite I, one on the new record, man. I love oh, it yeah. so much. Oh, cool. You got to hear the album. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Your publicist sent me everything. It's just, it's, Great. it's wonderful, man. Yeah, so that was basically the idea behind that song was, you know, people all the time are writing <laughs> writing songs when people are dead or they're, hey, we're going to do a big charity event in honor of so-and-so person that's not here anymore. So I was like, you know what? Let's write a song about someone that's here right now and tell them how much we appreciate them. And uh, Bill is is so funny. You know, Bill, Jason uh, Livermore mixed the record out uh, the blasting room. And of course, Bill oversees the mixes. I know he heard it, but uh, he the record was mixed in January. I did the podcast with Bill, I want to say, in May or June. And uh, <laughs> he never said a thing about it, nor am I ever going to bring it up. I know he's heard it, but <laughs> yeah. Bill's Bill's just, uh, you know, he's a quirky, quirky character. I tell you, man, I my show's pretty lighthearted. We talk about, you know, tour stories and whatever. But that episode of yours, I'd already listened to a couple that you had out. But when you put that one out with Bill, I got to say, man, that was that was some strong stuff, man. I, I, I almost started crying during that episode. Yeah, the 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 letters I got from people saying that they were listening at their cubicle at work and they had to excuse themselves to go cry like men and women. Uh, it was you know, I, I joke around. I, I feel like I was Barbara Walters and I got the Pulitzer Prize yeah. with that. Ep- like I. I had no idea that's where it was going to go. You know, as you heard in the episode, like I had talked to Bill about his dad. I was there when his dad was dying. We were on on all tour, you know, and his dad was just not in good health. And Bill would would talk about it. And I realized, you know, when when he was telling me this, I, I knew it was I don't want to know so, so much knew it was something that was bothering him, but it was on his mind. It, he was he was living it, you know, and I now realize the torture he was going through back then with it. And uh, so I get him on that day and he wanted to pick the two songs, which I thought was cool. And I'm thinking, you know, he's going to talk about them and it's going to be like any any other episode. And he gets choked up. I can hardly talk at some point. Like I, someone asked me, uh, I, I I do weekly questions with my uh, podcast and my podcast group. It's called the filth and people ask questions. And someone said, how'd you make it through that? And, you know, my cheek was raw for like a week. I was I anytime you don't want to cry. I, my mom taught me this when I was a kid. You bite the inside of your cheek really hard. <laughs> and I was just biting my cheek just really hard and concentrating on it because it was heartbreaking. You know, it was heartbreaking and it touches everybody different, whether you have a good relationship as I do or not with your father. You know, my my dad is uh, battling Parkinson's disease now and uh, it's tough to see his deterioration. Uh, so even though I'm close to my father and we've, we've had a great relationship my whole life, uh, it was still hard to hear from Bill's perspective. Yeah, I, I lost my dad back in 2005. He was in a car accident. And I mean, that's just the worst thing ever to lose a parent. I mean, I'm, I bet it's similar if you lose a child. But man, listening to that episode and just hearing Bill, how honest he was about everything, it 
it affected me. I've not been affected by many podcast episodes. And I got to say, man, like I still carry that with me, you know? Yeah, that's what a lot of people have said. They said that they've never got choked up or cried during a podcast. They couldn't they couldn't believe it. And in fact, you know, Chris is on every episode. My producer, he'll be in the background muted out and he likes to take notes during the episode for it. It makes it easier for him to compile the episode later. And uh, that day, the uh, lo and behold, the, the site we were going through, our technology wasn't working. And uh, so I said, you know what, Bill, let's just you and I talk on the phone in headphones and uh, we'll just each record our separate audio. He was at his studio. So Chris wasn't on it. And we hung up, Bill and I, after the hour long, however long the conversation was. And I just sat here in my studio for like three minutes, just in silence and shock. And I picked up the phone. I called Chris and I'm like, Dude, I just got like the episode of all episodes. I yeah. can't even believe I can't even believe what just transpired. I could if I if I called Bill next week and said, "Hey, we got to record it again." It, it would never come out that way. It was so raw. He's like, "Well, send it to me, man. He wanted to hear it." And I did, and he was just shocked. He couldn't couldn't believe it. And I went upstairs after that to to get something to drink. My studio is in the basement of my house, and I walk in the door and my son's like, "Daddy." And he runs into my arms and I just start bawling. You know, it was a very, very emotional. <laughs> if you have children and you look at him and you can't imagine uh, how his father stopped telling him he loved him. You know, it was, it was hard. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that then before we get on to the other stuff. Being a dad, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm 42. I have a four year old and a three year old. I think you're me too. You're a few years older than me. So it seems like you got a late start like I did. Right. I did. You know, I. uh I always say I've, I, I only did one thing right in my life, and that was not have kids in my 20s yeah. or, or up into, up into my mid-30s. I, uh, A, the technology wasn't there, the, the FaceTime and Skype and everything. I don't know. I don't know how guys did it back in the day. Um, I know there was a lot of <laughs> a lot more. Uh, it seems it seems like a lot more divorces and a lot more deadbeat dads in the music industry back then, because now at least you can get some FaceTime, no pun intended with them, and you can kind of feel like you're there. But uh, the technology wasn't there. Uh, you couldn't even just talking on the phone. I remember pumping quarters into a payphone back in the nineties, early two thousands. It was horrible. Um, and, uh, I, I was, I was raising hell. I was, the band was touring nine months out of the year. I was partying, just living life, having, having a great time. What I thought was a great time doesn't seem like fun anymore because again, my priorities had changed and my children have kind of put, put that into focus, yeah. you know? Um, so, but, uh, yeah, it's a trip. You know, my son is going to be four in two days and my daughter will be three next March. So have you enjoyed this? You know, COVID has forced everybody to kind of get away from their norm. Like, I know that you guys probably don't tour nine months out of the year anymore, but I know that you're still road dogs. Like, that's what you guys do. How has this time off of the road with your children at this very crucial age, like this developmental age, has that been really rewarding for you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, of course. Yeah, it's been great, you know, and we we still tour as hard as probably most bands uh, half our age uh, to, to this day. We're still out there probably 120, 150 days a year, but it's broke up like, you know, it's not like when I say nine months, there was a time when we used to get in the van uh, our first couple tours and we'd be gone for, I mean, uh, nine weeks Home, literally home for two days. It's like pet the dog, do a load of laundry and and you're back in the van again. Um, and of course, uh, you know, now everyone, not everybody, but a lot of the guys in the band have families. So we're doing it different. We'll go out for two weeks, have a week off, uh, go out for a week, 
have a month off, go out for three weeks to Europe, come home and have two weeks off. And then one month will be just be fly out on the weekend festivals. You know, then we'll come home. And so we're, we're really trying to not be gone for more than 21 days at, at a time. That's really kind of important for everybody now. And uh, it's it's making it easier. So really, you know, the last year being home uh, would have been no different when when I am home. I, I I'm have the luxury of, you know, cause there are guys and bands that go out on tour that still come home and work work a day job or yeah. work a night job. So when I'm off the road, I'm <laughs> it's full dad time and full concentration. So this has been uh, even more of that because I haven't even had to leave. So talking about some of those early tours real quick, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Lindsay from Frenzel Rom, said if you were ever on the show, I was supposed to say hello to you. And uh, he, <laughs> he, want, he wanted you to tell maybe a story from that tour, what you did with them and Blink-182 back. I think it may be 97, 96, something like that. Uh, and we could talk for like eight episodes just on the front, just on touring with Frenzel Rom. Those guys... <laughs> I, I'll tell you the bands that, uh, in terms of party, and it was the Pie Tasters, Guttermouth, Frenzel Rom, Teen Idols. Yeah, those four, those four bands. Uh, and you guys have the drummer from Teen Idols now, correct? We do, Matt yeah. Yonker. Yeah, Matt's our drummer. Uh, and Unwritten Law, they're the they're the fifth band. Those five bands. Uh, thank God they never did a five bill tour. That someone someone would have come home in a body bag. <laughs> uh, it, and and Frenzel was Lindsay's first tour. He wasn't even eighteen. He was like four months shy of his 18th birthday. This was in 97. And our manager calls us and, and, and she says, hey, that Frenzel Rom's going to be in town from Australia. You guys should take him out and show him around. So they're staying down at this uh, uh, Plaza Hotel down 13th Street in Gainesville that's on a lake. And there's a big ass lake back there. Uh, and uh, we get there and their hotel room has a sliding glass door that goes out to a little porch. But it's wide open, no screen or anything. And I knock on the hotel room door. I think Roger might have been with me. And we walk in. We're like, what's up, guys? We'd never met him before. And I look out. And there's uh, Nat, their old drummer, and Lindsay swimming in the lake. <laughs> like, not by the shore with, like, dipping their toes in. Like, they're swimming in the lake. There's signs posted everywhere, beware of alligators. You don't <laughs> swim in lakes in Florida. Yeah. You just don't do it. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what are you guys doing? And they they, they looked at me deadpanned with, with, with not an ounce of sarcasm in their voice. And they said... Mate, we you know we got crocodiles. This is nothing, you know. <laughs> it's my poor Australian accent, but they, they're just like, "What are you talking about, alligators? These, those are the size of lizards. We'll be fine," you know. And that was my introduction to Franz Ram. And then from there, it just was it was mayhem every night. They loved loved to throw down a party, and and uh, it was just wild. They were wild. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, shout out to Lindsay if you're listening. I think he listens once in a while, but he told me, he said, if you ever have Chris on the show, you got to ask him about that tour. Oh, <laughs> uh, they're one of my favorite bands. Not just favorite bands to tour with, but one of my favorite bands musically. What a quirky, insane, talented band. Uh, oh, yeah. Just ph phenomenal musicians uh, and just, uh, God, some of the tours we did in Australia with them were epic. I mean, <laughs> just... Again, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I'll start and when you ask me the question about him, I, there was a story my mind was going to, I'm like, I'm not talking about that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> off camera, I'll tell you all day long, but awesome. there's just some things, some things that at my age and I just don't want to revisit. Oh yeah, totally, man. I get that. Well, I tell you what, I want to talk a little bit more about something that I think is really cool that you're doing is this new book that you've put out. Yeah. Uh, Blast from the past. It comes out today. The yeah, eight. it's out. This is going to come out. out a couple weeks later, but I mean, it's out today. It's your first book. 
can you kind of, you said that, it, you know, you started doing it through the Instagram stuff. You were telling me about that earlier. Can you kind of take me like through what it takes to write a book, like what you had to do to put this out? Well, I did it completely unorthodox. So David McWain from Big D and the Kids Table, uh, you know, I knew he had put out a couple books and I had hit him up about four or five years ago. I'm like, look, I've always wanted to write a book. I have every biography and autobiography you've ever heard. I mean, I, I have them all. I love them. Everything from Meatloaf to Mariah Carey to Slayer. I like, it, it doesn't matter if I even like the artist. I read them all. They're fascinating, you know, because I can relate to them because I've been doing what they've been doing. And I just like to hear the stories. And uh, I've, I found some fantastic ones over the years. I, I read them all the time. They're great for long distance flights. And they've just kind of been my uh, my companion all these years. I, that's my that's my go-to when I like to read. And I've always wanted to write a book. Well, I uh, started, I called Dave, uh, from big D he's like, well, here, I'm going to send you this outline. It made it really easy for my first book kind of takes you through. It's like, you know, here's what you want to do. Key points here. You're going to want to start out. You're going to have a, of course, a forward and epilogue in the back. You're going to base it on this. And do you know, do you want it in chronological order? Do you want this to be more of this? It had these questions it was asking you. And I was like, this is cool. And I think I made it at one point all the way up to almost like chapter three, but it kind of was reading like everybody else's book. And the first three chapters were just, it was kind of like a bunch of stuff. It's like, who cares? And, you know, like, cause that, that was my problem with a lot of the biographies. I read. It's like, I was born here. My dad was a steel worker and he did this. Like, okay, I just, and that's how mine was reading. Hi, I'm Krista Minks. I was born in Michigan on September 27th and we moved to Florida when I was six. And so I just was discouraged. I knew I always wanted to do it and I was just having a hard time putting pen to paper. Uh, I moved uh, early in 2018 and uh, December uh, 5th of 2018, I got up that morning. I had been going through my studio where I'm at now, putting it together. I was going, putting up my memorabilia. My, I have literally saved everything Lesson Jake's ever put out. So I'm organizing everything. I'm cataloging and I get these pictures out and just kind of thumbing through these picture books I hadn't looked at in like 20 years. And I, I took a picture out and I just like took a picture of it with my phone. I posted on Instagram. I wrote a story about that, that, that photo. And, uh, with the story, it said, I'm going to write, I'm going to post one picture and one accompanying story every day for one year until I pass Roger and Instagram followers. You know, this is kind of like a little joke. And JR, our sax player was one of the first people to write. And he said, you won't make it two weeks, but good (laughs) content though. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show him. And, uh, I, I was posting every day. It got to be late December. I want to. I want to say it was the 26th, uh, day after Christmas, and I'm sitting there, and it just the light bulb went off. I'm like, I'm writing my book, one picture and one story at a time. So I did it all the way up, and man, there was sometimes I'd be flying to Japan, I'd be in an airport going, I'm not gonna have Wi-Fi, and I'd be like hammering out like the the story for the day. Oh, I almost forgot. One day it was like five o'clock afternoon. I'm like I didn't post today. I'm like how did I forget that? Um, but uh. December 4, 2019, I, I had finished and then uh, top of this year started compiling a new book. It had to be re-edited, which I did with Chris, uh, my manager. We went through meticulously and, and edited uh, the whole book. Some of the content and some of the stories on Instagram didn't really jibe with where it was at today. So, But uh, the book, uh, kind of like a touring life, and you can relate to this, uh, it is chaotic, and that's kind of the feel of the book. It might go from a, a picture from us at a festival in 2019 to a picture of me in 1994 to uh, somewhere in, in 1980, you know, 1997. To so it's jumping all over the place with these stories, and it's it's insane. It's it's came out better than than I ever imagined it could have come out. 
I tell you, I love the uh, the the marketing and kind of some of the stuff that you can get with the book from Smart Punk. Like you've got uh, a calendar, a seven inch, yeah. <laughs> and it's also got like a Teen Beat poster. Like there's so yeah. much cool stuff that you can get with the book. It's awesome, man. Well, I I used to dress up in all these characters, so and that that was bore out of being bored on tour. We'd be in a van, we'd be in insert town here, uh, Tucson, Arizona, and. It'd be two in the afternoon. We'd be sitting outside this club that's not open yet. And like, okay. So you start walking around. It'd be a thrift store. And I'm like, huh, this is funny. I'd try on this wig. I'm like, ooh, this jacket's really hilarious and gaudy. And, you know, how much? Four bucks here. So I'd wear it on stage that night. And so that's where the characters came from. And so all throughout the book, you'll you'll see the characters and the stories that come along. A lot of them had names. And again, this was pre-smartphones. It was how do you kill time on the road? And uh, it was just kind of always having fun and, and uh, doing stuff like that. So I never thought in a million years that 20 years ago, the shenanigans I was doing for fun would ever lend itself and, and become something that it has. The cool thing I... I did with the book was I made it a year and a half campaign. So it's going to go until basically May or June of 2022. So every three months, I'm going to drop two more songs and another seven inch and new merchandise. Wow. Every, every three months. And then it's going to reinvigorate, you know, kind of give the book another push. And then after the year and a half, I'll have a full album. It'll be my first solo album. And the, so the record is going to be called blast in the past. The first single was called blast in the past and the book's called and. And all the songs are in reference of that time period in the past of my book. They're all gonna all gonna reference that or my characters in the book. So it's like a it's like a reverse concept record. <laughs> <laughs> Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. You guys have always had that really cool, like, like kind of joyful sense of humor on stage. I, there's been like, when I've seen you guys play, you've done like little skits and, you know, you're talking about wearing the stuff you got at the thrift store, like the costumes. I always thought, and you guys, you know, we're at the level at one point, maybe still are. It would be so great to see you guys on SNL and then have you guys be in the sketches. You know how like Dave Grohl, some people oh, yeah. are in oh, the we, sketches. We, we, we would kill that. We would we would live for that. <laughs> has has the comedy aspect of what you guys do? I mean, not like songwriting. You guys are a serious band of everything, but has that comedy and that kind of sense of humor always been a part of? Like, has it been hand in hand with the music? Oh yeah, I mean, we do have some. You know, I say yeah. You said serious songs. Yeah, but we have some songs that are ridiculous. There's one called Jay Frenzel, actually, about Jay from Frenzel Rom <laughs> yeah, yeah. on our B on our B is for B sides record. That song's, you know, and then we have other ones, a uh, cheese from the Hello Rockview record. And so we write songs about our friends. And uh the the second single that dropped today with the book is called All American Asshole. And that's about one of my characters in the book uh that basically was was uh you know mimicked after 
you know, rednecks that I saw in Florida growing up with. That's what that character was modeled after. So um, we've always had that that sense of humor to us. And uh, that was kind of where Bill from the new record came in. It was like, you know, the lyrics aren't they're, they're kind of heartfelt. But at the same time, there's some funny lines in there and, and things. And, uh, you know, we always try to keep to keep it fun. The, the comedy thing for the live show for us was. Uh, really about our, us having fun. We always figured if, if we have a good time, it's going to translate to the audience. So with the new record, um, who, who you said that Jason at the Blasting Room mixed it. Who produced it? Yeah, so we recorded it at uh, the Moat House in Gainesville. That's Roger's studio. So Ro- Roger produced it, and the band, uh, we all got a co-producing credit, so we, we produced it, uh, but Roger's like the, the, the head producer of it. And then Jason mixed it at, at Blasting Room. Somebody that uh, I've gotten close with for throughout the podcast is uh, Vinny Fiorello that used to be in the band with you guys. Uh-huh. Did the songwriting change quite a bit when Vinny left? I mean, this is kind of the first big thing you guys have done with a new drummer and me. I know Vinny did some of the lyrics and some of the stuff back in the day. What was the the process like? Did you guys have to kind of reshuffle a little bit to figure it out? Well, Vinny only only wrote the lyrics. He never wrote the songs. Okay. So, so that aspect that didn't change. So that was kind of seamless. Uh, Roger and I have always written the songs and now, uh, for some time now, but even more so on this record, JR, sax player really stepped up. Uh, one of the songs that was released, uh, early on the second single, dear me, JR wrote that that's his song complete top to bottom. I, I just sang it. Isn't there a so, sax solo on the new record too? I'm trying to remember. I just listened to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's on uh, so much less. Okay. Is, yeah. That's the last song on the record. Yeah. Which uh, sax solo is amazing. Uh, but uh, so Roger and I, the, for most of the years, we wrote the bulk of the material, melodies, chords, everything, the songs. And um, Buddy and, and JR will write, write their horn parts. A lot of times Roger and I will come up, come up with horn parts of what we think. So uh, the music's been a collaborative effort you know, from, from Roger and I down and, and, and with the horns. And, uh, of course, Vinny was, you know, 90 to 95 percent of the lyrics, um, definitely in the early years, uh, even more so. And as time went on, you know, we all uh, would have lines here or there and we'd be able to interject things. You know, Vinny sometimes would hand you a full uh, sheet of lyrics and then other times it would be just like scraps of paper with different phrases and you'd be like "Ooh, we could make this into a song and roger and i would take it and add lines and so um you know it, it wasn't any pressure it wasn't like oh what are we gonna do now we we've all written songs on our own um and uh you know has it affected the band of course anytime you lose a member it doesn't it doesn't matter who it was uh the dynamic of the band is going to change yeah. so you know, when I when I talk matter of factly and frankly, like I'm talking right now, it's not like, oh, yeah, we're fine. We, we went on and we moved on and we're, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Um, the band's never going to be be the same. But at the same time, uh, things go through evolutions. Things change. And uh, even if Vinny was still in the band, we wouldn't be the same band that wrote Hella Rock for you. Yeah, you just can't. You can't be. Well, I'll say the cool thing about the new record, and I've listened to it quite a bit since your publicist sent it over. It's. You know, I've been listening to you guys forever, and some bands, after 25, 26, 27 years of being a band, their new records don't sound as fresh and as energetic. This record, you guys don't miss a beat. Like, this could have come out 10, 15, 20 years ago. Like, it, it stands up, is what I'm trying to say. Like, oh, thanks. I just, yeah. I think that when you listen to how well it's put together, I mean, 
the songs are there, man. I mean, do you ever worry about, and this is kind of a weird loaded question. There's those people that kind of use the term legacy act or legacy band. You guys have the catalog. You guys have the fan base. You could kind of do whatever you want forever and still be successful. But then you guys put out a banger like this new record. Where do you guys still get that fire? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it hard to do that or is it just business as usual? No, it, it's just natural because that's why we started this band. I've always said, um, when you start a band, it has to start with what? It has to start with a song. You don't all of a sudden call up the local punk club and go, hey, I'm in a band called Less Than Jake and we want to play your club. And you show up and the guy goes, hey, you ready to play? And you go, well, we don't have any songs. <laughs> what are you talking about? You asked to play here. It always starts with the songs, right? Yeah. Before you ever play a live, before you ever even record, you have to write the songs and play them as a band. Then you record them, maybe, or then you start playing live shows. And then once you play a live show and have a song and have a band name and maybe a logo, then maybe you print a T-shirt up. And then maybe you decide to get in a van and go on tour, and it just keeps doing this. So it always starts. It always starts with a song. And um, so for us, we've always loved to create. We've always loved to write. It's the same. I get the same exact feeling. As much as technology and as much as the industry's changed, I get the same exact feeling now when I step in to write a song with these guys as I did in 1992. It's the same feeling. It's fun. It's why we why we started uh, this. Uh, but I love the term legacy band. I love that we have a catalog. I love that you tell me people say stuff like, man, they're excited. Like, I used to listen to you in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? Guess what? They're at the show and they bought a ticket and they got a shirt draped over their shoulder. Yeah, yeah. They don't mean they don't mean it how it sounds. Yeah. They just, you know what I mean? They're and and but but guess what? If 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 they didn't used to listen to us in the 90s, then they wouldn't be there today. So that that foundation that we built, I'm proud of. And I know that we we don't have to play a song past past Anthem or Hello Rock View or some of our early records, we could go out and play a greatest hit set from those records and till the end of time. And a lot of people would be fine with that. And that's a great position to be in, but we like to push ourselves. Uh, you know, I've said it, Roger said it, that I don't think we've written our best songs yet as a band. I don't think that, that we've, we've played our best show yet as a band. Like we're getting, always getting better. Uh, and this is a, uh, something that I've looked, uh, I've seen, videos of whoever it is uh metallica kiss rolling stones when you know when they were in their mid 40s some of the best shows they ever played yeah they had 25 years of experience behind them so i'm not afraid of uh of of, of getting older i'm not afraid of uh, uh of continuing to do what we've done and, and just push the envelope of of uh, who we are now, speaking of shows, I, I want to ask about some shows that I've always been interested. If I had you on the show, I was going to ask you. You guys did that tour with Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah. And and I and on the interviews I've heard you talk, I haven't really heard you talk a lot about it. How did that kind of come about? And was that just mind-blowing? I mean, like being up there in an arena with that many people? How was it for you? So Bon Jovi and I were both with CAA, uh, Creative Artist Agency, which is a booking agent. John had taken a hiatus in the 90s, uh, probably the best thing he could have done. He was trying to reinvent himself as an actor. Uh, nothing was happening. He, he was looked at as a, as a hair band, and yeah. that was a tag. Uh, love him or hate him, Bon Jovi was, yeah, he was a good-looking man, uh, and he, he had the looks, and every female wanted, wanted him, and every guy wanted to be him in the 80s. But he was so much more than, than that. The dude's talented. The band is talented. 
those records when you listen to them, Bob Rock uh, engineered those records. Yeah. That, those Slippery When Wet and, and the follow-up New Jersey, those records sound great today. They don't go go put on a Warrant record. It, it, it's not even it's not it's, it's not and I, and I love Warrant. I love some Warrant songs. It's not even in the same league though. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Bon Jovi was starting to put together this come I say comeback this this new record Crush, and they were putting the feelers out there. The agency had contacted I I believe Lit, uh, Collective Soul. Sugar Ray, um, uh, Smash Mouth, a couple other bands that were hot during that time and were having having big radio success. These bands all turned it down. Bon Jovi, they, they didn't want to be associated with the hair tag. Like that band's a wash up because Bon Jovi hadn't toured the U.S. in probably five five to six years at that point. It had been a quite, and that's quite a long time in this industry to not tour. They stayed out of here. Um, and we heard about it. We got an offer and we we're like, Okay, and like, what what does it pay? They paid us five grand a night, okay, Jeez. which, okay, which is great money for playing. Uh, it's it's not our crowd, okay. They gave us one uh, t shirt kiosk up by the uh, hot dog vendor on the fourth floor behind the bathroom, so <laughs> <laughs> we weren't making merchandise. We did it for a story. Bottom line, yeah, yeah. Well, when we agreed to do the tour, that was in like July, early August of two thousand. The tour wasn't happening until like uh, November of two thousand. In August, VH1, which was now catering to people my age, mid mid to late 20s at that point. We were no longer an MTV generation. MTV wasn't playing the stuff we wanted to hear. VH1 was. And VH1 picked up It's My Life, the first single, and it blew up. When we all got this tour, I was thinking, yeah, we'll probably do 3,500 to 5,000 seat theaters. Yeah. Big theaters. This is going to be great. It'll be in a trip down memory nostalgia lane. I couldn't have been more wrong when that when that single took off. We were doing 15, 20,000 seat basketball arenas stuffed to the gills for three weeks straight. I saw the who I party with the guys in Skid Row, like you name it. Like <laughs> the guy from Bill Bill Leverty from Firehouse came out. We we threw down. Bobby Blosser from Rat came out. We party like all the '80s dudes were out there. We're hanging because Bon Jovi's kind of insular. Like they're over here. You can't get past this security guard. But you come party with Les and Jake. Our our dressing room is wide open. You know. <laughs> The stories from that tour are insane. <laughs> could, could we maybe get one that's not insane, like too insane for the yeah, podcast? So, 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 so one, I'm not even shitting you. So they would give us, Bon Jovi would have like a tuning room, like which is like, which is like, and these were in basketball and hockey arenas. So we had like a locker room that their people would come in and put like tarps over everything. So you couldn't see the lockers. It just looked like a nice plush room. They'd, they'd hang these blankets, kind of like Metallica they, on, on YouTube. You can see yeah. their tuning room yeah. videos. Yeah. 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 They had a, they, this lady's job was just for feng shui. That was her <laughs> whole job. I'm not shitting you. Okay. They had a wardrobe lady. He, she had her own room. They had Richie's dressing room, John's dressing room. They had a communal band dressing room. They had the catering room and there'd be nights. I'm not kidding you. We would be in the equivalent of a janitor's closet. There'd be two mops in the corner, a bucket of bleach. I'm not kidding you. And they would like shove five chairs in there. There'd be a case of water, two bottles of red wine, and towels. That's what we got a night. That's what we got a night. No catering. Oh, and we got a catering ticket too. We got <laughs> okay, catering. Okay. But our catering was separate. Our catering was for the local crew, Bon Jovi's crew, and us. Okay. Bon Jovi had their own. They had their own catering. Yeah. We we were the peasants. We couldn't hang with royalty. Okay. Which was great. Which was great. We still got to see the guys. Like John would come in our dressing room. He'd walk in the the broom closet sometimes, and he'd like. And then John's in the book. There's pictures of him in the book. Awesome. Man. Okay. Yeah. And there's stories of it in there too. But uh, the one night we're in a broom closet, and I come out and I look over, 
and it was a guest dressing room. And I, I look, and there's Heather Locklear, who was married to Richie Sambora, yeah. just casually, casually drinking a glass of wine outside of her fucking dressing room, which was like, you know, a, it, it could have accommodated five bands, you know, and we're in the broom closet. I'm like, yep, there's Richie's wife. She gets her own dressing room and we're in a broom closet. <laughs> cool. And I mean, there's just a million other ones. The, it was, it, again, we did it for a story, much like when we took the Lincoln Parks uh, Snoop Dogg and Corn tour, the Project Revolution tour in 2004. We were on that uh, full summer amphitheater, and that was crazy. And we did that for print promotion, for nothing else. I think we were getting, I want to say they gave us five grand a night for that too, which, um, you know, I, I talk about money. And I talk about the, because, you know, a lot of the listeners like to know what do these guys make? Um, five grand isn't a lot of money when you're in a tour bus and, and you got, uh, uh, 10 guys on the or five guys on the crew, five guys in the band, bus driver, hotels. Uh, that goes pretty quick. Well, yeah, that was the, the last time we were on Warp Tour, like 08, 09. We were on the main stage and we didn't even do a bus because we were only making between three and four a day. I mean, we just, it all depends on what you want to take home at the end of the tour, right? That, well, that's the other thing. So, you know, there, the, Five grand sounds like a, a ton of money, but really not a lot of meat in the bone for that. And we could have went out that summer and made way more money on our own, but we took the Lincoln Park tour because those kinds of tours kept our band leapfrogging. They kept getting us that extra 150 tickets in St. Louis, that extra 150 tickets in Chicago, those extra 200 people in Detroit that would come see us. And now when we roll through again, maybe some of the people that kind of, yeah, I've seen less than Jacob Bunch, or maybe they're not fans anymore, don't like the new record, or, yeah. you know, used to think I was cute when I was cute, and now, now I don't think I'm cute anymore. <laughs> uh, now there's other people taking their spot and showing up to the shows. So we've always been mindful of, of continuing to... Uh, it's kind of like uh, tilling the soil, you know, <laughs> as a farmer. You just keep, keep, uh, you know, keep doing your best to, to get new fans. Do you feel like maybe you know, one thing that I've always liked about Less Than Jake is you guys were a part of that late '90s, early two, early 2000s kind of ska explosion. But I always looked at you guys as different as some of those bands that that kind of had that success. And you guys seem to have persevered and gotten through where that went back down. And some of those other bands really didn't. Like, do you think that maybe taking chances and taking those tours and and trying to get in front of new audiences kind of withheld what you guys had going on that whole time? Absolutely. I mean, we had people giving us uh, shit for we went out with uh, an arena tour with us. It was a Honda Civic tour in 2003. It was us. Good Charlotte. Newfound Glory. You know, oh, good Charlotte. Listen, you, I don't give a shit who you are. OK. You're, they're going to put you and your twin brother on MTV and a label's going to give you a push, okay? You're going to do exactly what those guys did. I don't have a damn bad thing to say about the Madden brothers, okay? Those they're, dudes they're are awesome people, man. I love no, those they're, guys. They're, 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 great. they're great guys and and whatever. People, you know, the jealousy runs deep in this, in this business, as you know. Uh, we took the tour. That tour alone bought us another five years in the business. And then some, we still get people to talk about that tour. So that was outside of the ska realm, the Lincoln park thing, the Bon Jovi thing. Uh, we were constantly trying to hop on festivals that we were the only band with horns or the only ska band. Um, you know, I, I knew, I think the band knew there was diminishing returns with just staying in your own, uh, on your own road with the same genre of bands. Um, 
you know, we, we were proud of where we came from. If you want to call us a ska band, great. Um, I've never called us that because I have a deep respect for the selector and the specials and madness and, and, uh, you know, English beat and the bands that did it, you know, did it first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are smooth. Ska. I can't play like that. I don't sound like that. That's not where that's not the cloth that I'm cut. I love those bands and I love punk bands and we melded our, our thing into our sound. Um, so, you know, we, we're, I've always said that we're a, uh, we're a three piece punk, punk band with a horn section with, with, uh, with, with some ska, ska elements thrown in. And, um, I'm not embarrassed of the ska tag and, and, and I'll, I'll take it all day long. I love ska music, uh, love punk music and love them, uh, love them together. And, uh, you know, we just knew that if we just stayed specifically with playing with punk and ska bands, that there'd be diminishing returns. And we felt that there was more to this band that there's band, there's people that have told me, uh, you know, I don't really like Scott Punk, but I like you guys, you know, or I don't like a damn thing my son plays in the car, uh, but there's something about you guys. There's something about the melodies that, that I like. And uh, that's what we've always kind of strived for. Well, I, I think it's really cool, too. And and don't don't take this the wrong way, but, you know, a lot of those you know, quote unquote, ska bands, ska punk bands from the late nineties that kind of rode that wave. They all kind of had a big single. You guys have been so consistent. Maybe you've never had that breakout MTV, like huge thing, but everything is consistent. And you guys have just always worked hard and kind of continued to go up the ladder your whole career. Do you feel like Maybe that was a better way than, I mean, I'm sure you'd want a hit single, but, but I mean, do you think that maybe it was easier to not have one and just continue to kind of work hard and put everything out? I, I think one of, I think one of two things, it's kind of a two part uh, answer to your question. And I agree with, agree with everything you said. Um, you know, there was a, I used to have this joke years ago. Um, and, and at the time I think we were only had only been together for 10 years. I'd have, I'd have to change the joke to 28 years now, but I used to say, we're not a one hit wonder. We're a 28 year failure, you know? And, <laughs> and, 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 and basically what I really meant by that was that, no, we never had that stratospheric one single, man. When you get up to that one, now you got to keep going. Yeah. And unless you're, unless you're green day, unless you're no doubt, unless you're Foo Fighters, that's a hard mountain to, to stand on and to stay on, you know, there's nowhere to go up from number one. It's either you plateau or go back down. And so for us, you know, with that hip, huge hit single that we never had, if we had had that, would we still be around? Would would the one guy that wrote that song, would he have made $6 million and the rest of us are living uh, in a two-bedroom apartment and he's driving around Beverly Hills? There's a lot of animosity that comes with that. Yeah. You know, and people always ask, what's secret? You guys have kept the same, you know, barring hell. When Vinny left, we had had the same lineup for 20 years. Jeez. Same lineup. Yeah. You know, and and had and had he not left the band, we'd we'd be going on now, uh, twenty two years with the same lineup. So basically, uh, people say, "Well, what's the secret?" And I always say, "Split the money evenly. Simple, simple. Every band that breaks up, it's ninety nine point nine percent. It's not creative artistic differences. No, Bob the singer wrote the goddamn hit, and he's living in Beverly Hills, and you're over in Compton slumming it. That's yeah. the animosity." <laughs> Calling a spade a spade. Well, no, and I just love how honest you are because I mean, people don't like to talk about this stuff, you know. But it's I'll talk. I'll talk about. I'm not going to go into specifics. Yeah, of yeah. What we make and this and that, but I, you know, I will. I will say that it's been it's been fair. You know what I'm making. I know what you're making. So I'm going to work as hard as you are. 
I'm not going to sit back and, 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 and take credit for what you did and split, split the money when you're writing all the songs and you're doing all the work. Well, and it's like that, you know, my, my friends in the band 88 Fingers Louie, they have that song called Punk Rock Rule Book where, you know, like, I got to pay a mortgage. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we were just talking earlier about people giving you shit for taking those tours. It's when you get to be an adult, like, why wouldn't you want to make money off your band? You know, you know oh what I'm man, I, I I I stopped doing interviews in the '90s. The guys were like, "Don't you stop? Don't say that." In the '90s, there was this, this this cry of sellouts, which is so hilarious. Now, sellout. Like, imagine telling some kid, "Hey, man, uh, less than Jake's not on Pure Noise anymore. They signed to Warner Brothers." They look at you like, <laughs> "Who cares?" Yeah, you know. And my thing in the '90s when all this shit was going, I'd I'd be doing interviews. I'd be like, "So is Michael Jordan a sellout? He just so he did he just signed a twenty million dollar contract. Is he a sellout?" And they'd be like, "Whoa." whoa, 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 whoa. So don't so, next question, and then I'd say things like, "Yeah, if I can sell ten million records and be on TV and be on the radio and and live in Beverly Hills in a mansion, don't you want to do that?" And you'd see punks going, "Uh, uh, uh." I was completely transparent, and honest from the beginning. I wanted to be in the biggest band in the world. Yeah, I wanted to. I, I wanted to be Kiss. I, who didn't? That was my dream. Okay, and guess what? I'm in the biggest band in the world. To me, yeah. <laughs> And you guys have almost as much merchandise stuff as Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean by that, it, it, I don't. It's not being pompous or egotistical. I made it so long ago. Before I ever made money, I made it. When when I'd show up to a venue in the middle of the country somewhere, and there was kids wearing our shirts and had our seven inches, and then they wanted me to sign it. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I made it right. Yeah. And so I've always had a deep deep appreciation of that. But I always knew that that I wanted to not be in the biggest band because I wanted to be a rock star or be on TV, but I wanted to strive to be that. I was going to take it as far as I could. Why not? And I always think it's weird when people cry sellout or they talk about that stuff like the punk rock police. It's like when you write a song or you have a band with your friends and you, you're proud of what you do, it's not like you want 20 people to hear it. You want a million people to hear it. And you can't help, you know, you can't help that a song, sometimes the stars have to line up. I can't tell you how many labels have sunk $10 million into a band and it's gone nowhere. Okay. I saw what Capital uh, put into, um, blanking on the name, uh, great band. Um, why am I blanking on the name? One Arm Scissor was their hit. Oh, uh, uh, At the Drive In. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. At the drive-in just didn't translate on a pop commercial level. Yeah. They didn't. They had these fans. I mean, they were selling out venues everywhere. Okay. Awesome band. But they they I saw the machine at work trying to make this bigger than it didn't work. Then there's other bands like, that's a mediocre song. What happened? Well, kind of the stars lined up. Look at the singer. He's a really good looking guy. Or look at the, <laughs> the singer. She's a really good looking girl. And the song's pretty damn catchy, man. And their live show is awesome. Okay. And then, you know, so you you can't ever predict this stuff. Um you know, there's a song uh, uh, that Vinny and Jr., a sax player, co-wrote with Mark Hoppus on our 2005 album, 2006 album, in with the Outcrowd called "Rest of My Life." It's our biggest song, uh, I believe, on Spotify and like YouTube. It's got like six million views. Okay, um, that song, I can say this because I didn't write it. That song's a hit. And if Green Day recorded that tomorrow, if Foo Fighters recorded that song, it's and 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 it's just it's an undeniable uh, pop song. Uh, we had no control that the song didn't get on the radio as much as we had no control if that song would have blew up and been been this massive hit. At some point, you just can do what you do. You it, it's out of your control. Yeah, 
Well, I tell you what, man, I've had you on the show for a while. I have some listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering. I know you got to go here in a minute. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. So Christopher from Illinois, he wants to know what is the hottest show temperature wise you've ever played? Yeah, uh, that would be two come to mind. One would be uh, Bakersfield, California on the Warp Tour. Uh, Not not Jerry's Pizza? (laughs) I played there too. It gets hot in that Uh, basement, man. Yeah, I played Jerry's Pizza. Um, Played there with Bruce Lee Band and Skank and Pickle. No, Bruce Lee Band. Bruce Lee Band. Um, But uh, yeah, it was about... I'm not kidding. I think... The heat index coming off the concrete that day at that whatever parking lot we were playing it was a hundred like 121 degrees. Uh, people passing out left and right. When we went on at five o'clock, I think it, when the day started that day, there was maybe I don't know eight to ten thousand people there, twelve thousand people. When we went on main stage, there may have been a couple hundred, Jeez. 150, 200 people scattered about. Yeah. It was just, and we went on stage. We weren't even the last band. We were on like stage like five, five thirty. It was brutal. And then we were in Germany one time. Um, that was hot. Actually, I, I know the hottest show. The hottest show, even probably because even though Bakersfield was brutal, we were under the stage, you know, with with a with a tarp over us, a canopy. I'm gonna go with a Safari Club. One of the guys in Slipknot was working that night before Slipknot made it. I can't remember which guy. Safari Club in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, it was summertime. I had to walk out 40 minutes in the show out back and it went out into this like courtyard junkyard out back. And it was probably 78, 80 degrees outside, 90 degrees outside. And I, not 90, 80 degrees. I walk out and it felt cold. And as soon as the, the, the difference in temperature by 30 degrees hit me, I just projectile vomited immediately. So Des Moines, Iowa safari club, 1998. Well, this kind of goes hand in hand with that. I got to tell you something really quickly. Um, and I was going to bring this up and I totally spaced it. So my old band before the Ataris was this more heavy kind of metallic hardcore band called the widow Jenkins. And we were playing on the Ernie ball stage in Indianapolis at warp tour back in like Oh seven, maybe. And we had to lug our equipment back to where the buses were after we played and all my guys bailed and I was taking almost everything and I was ready to pass out. It was like 110 degrees you guys were hanging by your bus and you gave me a Red Bull and let me sit down in a folding chair by your bus and you nursed me back to health. I don't know if you remember that or not. I, I don't remember that, but uh, <laughs> that'll be that'll, my attorney will bill you 450 for the Red Bull plus <laughs> just, interest. Just give me my email, man. T-O-T-O-T podcast at <laughs> Gmail and I'll, 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 I'll Google it over to him or whatever. Well, I'm glad I was able to help you out. Yeah, I was going to bring that up and I forgot, but Christopher, thank you so much for your question. I have one more listener question. Tony from Montana says, who is Scott Farkas and why did he take it on the chin? I think he's referencing your song on Hello Rockview. Well, I'd like to let Tony know that the bass player in Great White, the 80s metal band, was named Tony Montana. So there you go. go. (laughs) (laughs) That's how my brain works, Tony. Uh, It's called an illness. Read my book. You'll figure it out. Um Thanks for the question, Tony and uh, Scott Farkas. It was his actually named Scott Farkas. He was in that movie called A Christmas Story. He was a character in there, and he was getting picked on in the movie. So it was just a metaphor of the movie. Scott Farkas takes it on the chin, but we called it Scott Farkas so we wouldn't get sued by <laughs> Paramount, whoever owns the movie. Yeah, Vinny told me about all the the issues with the greased sound, the greased EP you guys did. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we were always trying to you know maneuver around things. 
That's awesome. Well, Tony from Montana, not Tony Montana, thank you so much for your question. (laughs) And I tell you, man, I've had such a great time talking to you today. I just want to kind of, I want to know about the future. I know the book's out today. I know the new record, Silver Linings, is coming out on the 11th. What else do you have in store for the podcast or anything in the coming months? Yeah, so the podcast is just, uh, you know, got a bunch of great guests already lined up through January, uh, episodes recorded. Uh, got a bunch of guests in January, uh, that I'm going to be, uh, uh, interviewing one. I can't even believe from an eighties metal band that I just am so stoked to have on the show. I'm really excited. Uh, so the podcast is going to be going to the new year. I'll be releasing some more solo uh, stuff. As I, I mentioned earlier, uh, already thinking of the next project, uh, in book form that I'm going to be doing a uh, bunch of less than Jake stuff. I've been doing, doing demos, uh, for that. I'm still doing the custom songs and uh, the video consultations. I will produce a song with you. I'll answer any questions uh, pertaining to the music business, uh, critique your song, uh, et cetera. And you can find out all about that or uh, information on that. You can write me at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. That's D-E-M-A-K-E-S, chrisdemakes at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, there's there's more. I could probably talk all day. I got a lot in my head that I want to do, but whether it comes to fruition or not, I'll just shut up now. Awesome. Well, man, I've had a blast today, like I said, and please keep in contact. You know, we're, we're network mates at uh, Sound Talent Media. So if, you, right. if you ever want to come back on and talk about anything new you've got coming out, we can do it, man. Rock and roll. Well, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. It's been great. And I will talk to you very soon, my friend. Perfect. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake and Chris DeMakes, a podcast. I had so much fun catching up with Chris. He has been always been such a great dude to me, and it was great having him on the show. I can't wait to have him back in the future. Uh, it's always nice to talk about music every week, but it's also really cool to talk to a fellow podcaster about something that I'm passionate about, which is podcasting. If you haven't checked out Krista Makes a Podcast, do it now. Like we discussed his episode with Bill Stevenson, it's so powerful and it is not to be missed. Maybe start with something lighter like uh, Derek from Sum 41 or Mark Hoppus or whatever or Laura Jane Grace. And then you can go into the Bill Stevenson episode because it's super powerful. It's pretty intense. Uh, Also, make sure to check out his new book, Blast from the Past and... The new, brand spanking new, less than Jake record, Silver Linings, out now on Pure Noise Records. All the links to all of this cool stuff is going to be in the show notes. So, I don't know, some of you guys, if you even check out the show notes, there's all kinds of cool stuff in the show notes. Just go to the details of the episode you're watching, and it'll be jam-packed with cool things that you can check out. So that is it for this week. I want to thank Chris one more time for being on the show. I really appreciate it, my man. And, uh continued amazing success to you and everybody else in less than Jake and your family and everyone, you know, in your life. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you guys spending the time with me every week. I talk about it almost on every episode, but uh, it's really cool. I get so many awesome emails and voicemails and uh, DMS and and just all kinds of stuff. You make it a lot of fun to do this. I feel like we have a community and it's really cool that you take oh, like an hour or so out of your life to spend it with me and whoever the guest is. So I really appreciate it. Make sure to follow us if you're not already doing that on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. 
I would like you to check out my new band, Fire Sale, which features me, of course, and members of No Use for a Name and Protest the Hero. We are hard at work on new music. Uh, we're chatting to a couple labels right now, hoping that we can have maybe something out soon, but maybe like a fall release for like a record. I'm not sure. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We have a, a fire fire sale Zoom meeting tomorrow, uh, Friday, Friday. That's what it is. So yeah, check out my band, my new band, Fire Sale. It is on all the socials at Fire Sale is a band. We have some cool promo stuff up there, but we do not have any music out yet. It will be out soon, soon, soon. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me, super easy, podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our amazing website, TOTOTpodcast.com. And while you are there, grab some merch. It is the best way to support the show. So before I jump out of here, I'm going to play some music like I always do. My favorite song on the new Less Than Jake record is called Bill, and it gives props to one Mr. Bill Stevenson. We've talked about him so much on this episode already. It seems fitting that I'm going to play this song. Uh, I'm hoping to get Bill on the show soon. We have discussed it. Uh, I, I think it's going to happen. So uh, he's a bucket list, bucket list guest for sure. I'm such a massive Descendants fan and massive Black Flag fan, especially the era of Black Flag that Bill played drums. Yeah, I just, I mean, I love all Black Flag, but with him behind the kit, it just held it together a lot better. But uh, yeah, hopefully we can get Bill on in the future. But I'm going to play Bill by Less Than Jake. I think it's pretty fitting that we play this on this episode. So uh, I love you guys and gals. Make sure to wash your hands and wear your masks, your double masks, your triple masks. Uh, Be kind to one another. I will see you next week. As always, this is Chris, your favorite podcast host, unless Krista Makes is your favorite podcast host. And in that case, I'm your second favorite podcast host. I'll see you next week. Peace. Bill? No, Bill! Wow.
Hey, this is Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propaganda. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi. This is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Street.